One thing my wife, my father's always said to me and my brothers is when, when you're in times of kind of uncertainty or times of pressure or crisis, he's always said, well, what are you going to do? He's always said that, even when I was young. You know, well, don't blame and moan about it. Stop feeling bloody sorry for yourself. What are you going to do? That's how he talks to us. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Forget about so-and-so. Forget about them. What are you doing? You know? And so I remember landing, and he still talks to us like that. And I remember landing at the police college and I thinking, okay, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. I'm here now. <laughs> um, so anyway, I got stuck and I came first. Holding my head again, making my way through crowded thoughts. Sometimes it's hard to get out of it. Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Please Blow My Mind with your trusty host, that would be me, Will Fleming. Let me see if I can do an intro to this episode that gives it justice because this is the tricky part, right? I have lots of these conversations with lots of amazing people and it's kind of my job to capture, I guess, an essence. Well, that's what I set out to do, capture an essence of who the person is and what they do and why it matters. You know, I'm a big I'm a big fan of uh, trying to understand the pursuit of why it matters. I feel like we don't really think about that. We just do the matters bit. We just do. And I want to sit back sometimes and be like, why are we doing it? Why do we even? And I don't know if that's useful all the time, particularly in our very fast-paced world, but I think as a long-term goal... That is what history is, right? That's what we remember. We remember the why. Um, So this week's guest, I think, is a perfect example of exactly this point that I'm making. Don Mann joins me. And publicly, he will be known as, I guess, one of the uh, key members behind the Warriors franchise. Uh, He will also uh, um, be known for his current role as chief executive at the Pacific Media Network. But in this podcast... Don is the son of a mother and a father and a family who, over the long term, um, is seeking to find a role in the world. And and I don't mean that like, you know, we're all just seeking to find stuff. It's like, no, this is an evolving system of life, which includes trying to better understand where we fit and why we fit and all of these things. So... Look, I hope I've done justice, Don, to the conversation we had. It was a powerful conversation for me to hear those lessons that, and those realizations about our parents and their parents and, you know, this, this kind of never-ending navigation that we are all part of with a kind of singular goal, I guess, in some ways, to move forward in a way that brings the past with us but forges ahead for the future. So here we go with this episode with Don Mann. Don, thank you again for being a guest on my podcast. To the audience who listens, you blow my mind each and every week you turn up and support this podcast. So here we go, team, my conversation with Don Mann. Bringing out the fight, yeah, bring on all the lightning. Cause I'm looking for a hero, look inside the mirror. I find one, oh. Too hard, pick it up, dust it off. When I fall down 11, I get up 12. Don't need nobody else. Yeah, I can save myself. Okay, um, sitting here on our internet connection, Don. Thank you, brother, for joining me on the podcast. Tanakwe Will, Maloli Lei. It's great to be here, my friend. Yeah, and it is great to be here, and I just want to thank you again because, uh, look, I don't know if this comes across the way I mean it to, but I kind of, the people I reach out to, I get like a little feeling, like I'd like to talk to that person, you know, and I've I've long since trusted that because I, <laughs> if I put it through some type of algorithm or, you know, a spreadsheet, it won't make sense. But when I look at the list of people that join me on the podcast, it definitely makes sense. It makes sense because... I think the instinct that I have is to try and better understand my own journey as to what's my role here, right? And the guests that I invite on, normally they have a story. And I guess what I mean by that, Don, is, you know, I did a quick Google on you and there's a 
there's stuff there, you know, you've been through kind of the the journey of life. And I don't mean that in kind of like a Titanic yeah. cheesy way. But, no, that's fine. That's but fine. but the, does that kind of register with you that you kind of feel like it's a good life lived, you know, a life full of adventure? And is that something that you kind of thought that you process to yourself that, you know, I'm not just one thing forever. I might be this. I might be a bit of that. Mm. Yeah, well, that's it. Uh, that's a great question. Look, first of all, um, I really appreciate you reaching out to me a number of months ago. Uh, I really appreciate it. I, I sort of kept it saved, um, that message saved to the side, and I always thought I'm going to get back to this and get back to this, and, and so I, I appreciate you reaching out in the first place. Second, to your point about the people you have on, mm. I went back and had a look. Um, I went right into the Spotify and I looked back at all your previous guests, and um, first of all, the thing that I love is uh, – You've interviewed many of my closest friends. Wow, um, have been have been your guests for you know as an example, um, Vitaly Lafayette and I served in the police together. Wow, um, and, and then and then fast forward into some of those in, in rugby league circles and in other circles. Um, yeah, so tremendous to be on with them. Um, coming back to your your sort of main point at the end there, look, I've I've had a very fortunate and privileged life to be frank. Um, and some of the things, all, all the things that I've been experienced, uh, all power and glory go to my parents, um, who are my heroes. Uh, my mother, my mother Elaine, Elaine, um, Elaine Hemmer is her maiden name from uh, Waikare Moana, um, part of the Tuhoi Ngāti Ruapani Iwi. And my father, Don, um, Don Mann, none of man names from Britain, but um, on our Tongan side, we're part of the um, Tupo Fuliwai clan. And so, all power to them both. Very fortunate upbringing. Yeah. Is that, do you kind of have you, I don't know, did you ever have chats with them or do you ever kind of ponder what their thought for you was? You know, that's something I think about, you know, what was the goal? What is the goal for, let's say, our parents and their parents before them? Was it to kind of provide more stability in life? Um, did you ever kind of get a sense of what their kind of goal was for you or what they hoped for uh-huh. you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did, I, and I probably realised that later in life. Mm. Um, my parents turn eighty um, uh, next year. They're, they're they're going strong. They're you know sixty odd years of marriage um, and still going strong and still giving me lessons. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm in my fifties. I, I think there's two parts to that. Um, I have uh, I have four siblings. Uh, uh, there's actually five. We found out a, a cousin has a brother, so there's six boys in the family. As such, mm-hmm. um, my parents had uh, had uh, my oldest brother uh, Hitter. Um, my parents were teenagers when they had him. You know, and this is going back into the fifties. Um, and then my brother, uh, my brother Richard, followed after him not long after that. So my, you know, my parents were teenage. They were teenage parents in the nineteen fifties. And um, you know, so my my older brothers had. A, very much different upbringing than when I did. And then there was, so there was a gap between my first two older brothers who were brought up by teenage parents. And then there was a gap and my parents, you know, got on their feet and they got their first home. Uh, so they were able to move out of my my uh, Tongan grandparents' place in Sussex Street in Greyland and they were able to go to Calston in West Auckland in the uh, very early 1960s to have their first home. And so my upbringing with my brothers who followed me, Dwayne, um, many people know through rugby league, is a year, year and a bit younger than me. And then our youngest brother, Alipate, is our youngest. And then our fine-eyed brother, Anthony, we all came later. And so we came at a time when our parents had their home. They probably learned how to parent. Um, and so very fortunate in that respect. So I'm, I'm the older, I'm in the middle, and, and I'm the oldest brother of the next group of siblings who came along. And I realised, you know, a bit later in life that, uh, yeah, there were certain responsibilities that were put on me. Um, the most obvious one uh, was when I was 13, I was sent to Hatel Tipini, I was sent to a Māori boys' school. So it's a private Māori boys' school, um, you know, uh, one of the most prominent Māori boys' schools in Aotearoa. So I, I was basically tapped on the shoulder and sent there. Um, and that afforded me certain privileges, like being able to speak to Reo Māori at the age of 13. Um, and I guess something like that's probably not uncommon in our Māori and Pacific families where people have roles. 
um, whether it be um, <coughs> males or females in our family and depending on the order you sit in the family. Um, so it's something I was very aware of and that, and that privilege I had of being, able, being sent to a Māori boys' school at the age of 13. I think back, it's probably not surprising that I was then the first in my family to get a university degree. Right. And so, I'm yeah, very, very fortunate. I feel very, very privileged instead of the things that came my way. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember the feelings of uh, those kind of first days of, um, you know, the boarding school? Yeah, I remember Shane Jones hanging me out upside down on a two-story building once. He, he probably re- won't remember that. He probably hung many kids upside down <laughs> in Honeyhutta where there was a seventh former and Shane Jones was a, wow. uh, I mean, Shane Jones was either a sixth former or seventh former and I got cheeky to him one day and he hung me upside down the window. But no, it was, it was, a, it was a huge adventure. It was great fun, you know, and, and um, I went back to Kelston Boys High not long after that because I missed my friends. And, mm. and, and at the age of 13... I didn't fully appreciate what my parents had done by sending one of their boys to a private school. And all I can think of at the age of 13 is that I wanted to get back to my mates in Calston and I wanted to play rugby league for Glenora and I wanted to hang out with my mates. Um, so eventually I came back to Calston because I was incredibly homesick. Um, no regrets, of course, but um, perhaps if I had stuck it out, you know, I was, I was in a group of um, young men who followed behind Honey and followed behind Shane. And, and others. You um, really interestingly kind of articulate a, uh, uh, well, it's a point that I'm going through, right? I've got a 15, 13 year old, and then a three year old. And, and myself, I'm kind of like you. Well, no, actually, I'm not. I'm the youngest. I'm the baby of three brothers and sisters, but I'm the youngest by 10 years. So, kind of my journey has almost been That's like the, the solo one because I, Everyone yeah. I look up to is kind of more like an auntie and uncle, you know, um, and, yeah. and and I spend a lot of time thinking about the kind of roles of everything. Like one of the things my mum did is I think she thought she was doing me a favor by kind of raising me in a European way, right? So mum's Cook Island, dad's Kiwi, and we moved to the Coromandel. And I think she thought she was doing me a favor, but I realized in my 30s and now early 40s that my instinct is to try and go backwards and how do I reconnect with that side? You know, so it's interesting for me yeah. to interweave with people like yourself and others who, you know, it's not all the same, but there's definitely, um, yeah, there's something on purpose there that our parents are doing, right? You mentioned first one to go to yeah, uni. Yeah. Uni. yeah. First one to uni. Um, and in terms of my Māori whānau, it's, yeah. it's uh, te whānau hema. Um, and you know we're a big whānau now. You know my my mother is one of seventeen. <laughs> so from from Waikato Moana, and then they later moved to into uh, Mangakino. My grandparents in a town central North Island. Um, so my mum's one of seventeen. So we have a big whānau. Um, and it's funny. Uh, last summer, I was voted chair of our whānau group, and I'm the um, you know I guess I'm probably the first of the next generation down to take up the chair role from my mother's generation. And so these <laughs> these things perpetuate, you know, and um, it's, I, don't, I definitely don't put my hands up for it, but I guess, you know, certain things happen at a young age and it sets a chain in motion. I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't. You know, I don't, just, I don't want to be self-indulgent and come across you're the, you're the anointed one and all that kind of thing. It's not that. I just had a very normal upbringing with my brothers. Um, but I, I am able to compartmentalise why things happen in certain crossroads of my life and how they come about. Yeah, that's a really interesting point too. I think that's one of the things I've been trying to really work on is maybe because of being the youngest, I didn't have that role of responsibility. And I guess what that didn't give me is understanding that, you know, something is quite straightforward as bills need to be paid. That's something I had to learn yeah. kind of quite later, you know, and, and I realized it was quite tough for my parents to actually, and I see it in them today, you know, my dad doesn't want to release the reins for me and I've got to kind of yeah. assure him, you know, I bought my first home recently and, and look to be transparent. He still played a big part 
in it, but I remember he'd call me every day and he'd be like, did you call the lawyer? And I'm like, dad, yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all okay. (laughs) Since I brought it, he hasn't called me, you know? And I thought that's really nice because he just needed to know, you know? And um, I think it takes a bit of pressure off to everyone because, you know, sometimes I like to think of life as a bit of an experiment, you know, even um, though there's these plans and structures and algorithms, you know, even like the experiment of what we're all doing now, working remote, you know, it's like, it's so obvious that it works for some people, it doesn't for others. But the fact that we went through kind of 50 years of you go somewhere to sit in an office or in a factory, and that's how you kind of make your living. And now we've yeah, it all, yeah. all on its head, right? It's interesting. Well, that's, you know, hearing you talk about your dad and, you know, checking on you. Um, my parents have always been very active in our lives and all our boys' lives. And I say my parents are turning 80. Um, I'm in the middle. So, you know, I've got a brother who's 60-something and, mm. you know, the youngest uh, got a four in there, I think, or maybe a five. I can't, I've lost track. Um, 40-something or 50. Um, they're still very active, parents. Uh, you know, I speak to my dad almost every day. Yeah, uh, cool. he, they don't live in Auckland, you know. Uh, he still dispenses advice. Mum's still quick to dispense advice. Um, so, yeah, they're very and always have been active in, mm. in, in not only my life, but my brother's life. So, um, yeah, they're very fortunate in that regard. I'm fascinated with that too. Like, if you were to paraphrase a little bit or just take a feeling of what you think how they would describe Aotearoa then, right? In the 50s, as you talked about it, and today, like, do they have a kind of. Um, I'll give you a crude example before I unload that question on you. My dad, um, you know, being Pakeha and his family coming from kind of Ireland and stuff, I think his dad, you know, went to war and did all that stuff. And um, he said to him something like, you know, oh, New Zealand, I don't know when this was, but my dad tells me the story that my grandfather said, New Zealand's population just hit 2 million. You know, you guys are buggered, basically, yeah. you know, in that old kind yeah. of white dude way but um i think it's interesting to see there um you know we kind of look back at history and i'm not sure what we think you know if they're yeah if it's good or bad or what i guess you know like my mum kind of grew up in a aotearoa and i ask her sometimes i'm like what was it like you know i'm hearing all these things how did it register for you and she still kind of is very optimistic you know even though mm. if I read things, it's kind of more like it paints a different picture. What would you think your parents would say about then and now? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's probably, um, probably two very different things for them. So as I say, you know, uh, I'm Māori and I'm Tongan. So, you know, my mum my mum my left Waikari Moana when she was 12, 13. She was sent to Auckland Girls Grammar. Right. You know, and she was... And she was, you know, the story's been told many times. She was part of the generation where Te Reo Māori was beaten out of them. So although, you know, although I have some capability in being able to speak Te Reo, um, my mum lost it. Right. My gra- my grandparents, uh, if they were, still, we were Te Reo speakers, and if they were still alive today, they'd speak Te Reo. Mm. Um, so, so my mum's experience is one of you must go learn the ways of the Pākehā. There's nothing here for you at... Um, at Waikari Moana, go to Auckland, go to Auckland Gales Grammar, go live a life, go live the life the way of the Pākehā, basically. And that's not a that's not an uncommon story amongst um, you know her generation. Um, Dad, on the other hand, um, the man name actually comes from Coventry. Um, it comes it comes from um, Coventry, where you know for those who understand the union movement, you go back to a person by the name of Thomas Mann, a famous unionist back in back in the UK, came to Australia. Um, that's where the man name comes from. Came down in eighteen something or rather, I think it's about eighteen seventy. Came to New what I mean about yeah eighteen seventy something. Came to New Zealand. Thomas Mann, Richard Mann, brothers out of Coventry. Mm-hmm. Had a family here, ended up in Tonga. One part of them, uh, Richard took his family to Samoa. Thomas took his family to Tonga. Thomas's son, Richard, my grand, uh, Thomas's son, Richard, which is my um, uh, my great-grandfather, uh, had a son, Richard, which is my grandfather. Richard married a Tupo Fulibai. Um, so 
my dad came here in 1947, two years after World War II ended. He was three years old. Wow. And and um, he came here with, with his grandparents. And I just think about that. Like, you just mentioned that, you know, like three years of age, there's been a world war, and then you go and live in another country. So in a modern context, we're in a global pandemic. We're in our equivalent of a world war. And you think about you and your own kids and, you, you know, say, right, kids, um, when we get to 95%, we're packing up and we're going to live on the other side of the world. <laughs> you know, imagine if you did that now, you know, mm. and and what your son would go through or your daughter. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, dad landed here yeah, straight after World War II, three years of age. I mean, as I say, that coming back to sort of the privilege I feel, I mean, I was brought up in Kelston. I left home at 26, moved from Kelston to Te Aratu. Mm. It's a distance of three kilometres, yeah. you know. <laughs> that ain't hard done by, you know. <laughs> so when I when I think back at the experiences my parents had, you know, dad growing up here, he was part of that that inner city um, Pacific families, less than two thousand Pacific people in Aotearoa at the time he came here. The Mukibar cowboys dressing up like Elvis mm. and and all that, you know, type of thing, and 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 Karangahapi Road and Greylin and the Orange Ballroom and all that, um, and and then meeting mum who at that stage had left Auckland Girls Grammar and was a nursing student in the nursing halls at Grafton. Yeah. Oh. And and dad being the group of young Pacific men chasing the young Māori student nurses. Um, so their world's very, you know, it's a very different time. It's easy to think about that as a as a romantic time when you look back at it. But um, to get to the heart of your question, you know, I have difficulty talking to my mother about really in-depth things, Māori, because in essence the colonisation, the impact of colonisation on her, um, you know, say as an example, she might say something like, um, you know, if there's a protest, something in a protest happening, right, and she might say something like, oh, what the bloody hell are they all protesting about now, you know? But then in a quiet moment when perhaps she might be having a relaxing wine, she'll be that, she'll she'll express herself just exactly as how those protesters might be expressing yeah. themselves yeah. and her, her taha Māori comes out. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, another example would be, say, for instance, she doesn't get matariki. Um, yet if I explain to her, well, how about the concept of perhaps um, uh, um, taking a mate back or acknowledging the death a year on have you thought about that the concept of that actually comes, extends from um, Matariki and Maramataka and all that? But, but of course, that whole process of colonialism has been stripped away. Mm. Um, uh, those are difficult conversations to have with her. So I, 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 and so it carries a lot of um, <clears throat> it carries a lot of hurt. So I avoid them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And at a kind of deeper level, Don. She still kind of encouraged you to go to the boarding school and learn the ways, right? Hundred percent. And so there's this deeper conversation where, on the surface, there's these things happening for, you know, real life or real time kind of function, but there's this investment in you, which is a one hundred gift, eh? One hundred percent. So you know, absolutely, and you know, I, I should. It's a really good point. I should reiterate: she is fiercely. Tuhoi. She is fiercely Ngāti Tuapani. She is fiercely Māori. But um, the impact of colonisation has, um, that's her experience, you know. Um, uh, for for Dad, um, you know, it's what an adventure. Mm. Coming here after a war. Yeah. Three years of age, landed at a dairy farm in Karaka about that dairy farm is about five kilometres from where I currently live. It was owned by the Clark family. And anyone who knows Clark's Beach in Kadaka, Auckland, my my grandfather Richard worked on that farm, and Dad went to to Hihi School, which is about five k's from where I live. Um, and my grandfather milked cows um, for the Clark family until they had enough money to buy a home in Sussex Street, uh, Hakanoa Street in Greyland, and then Sussex Hakanoa Street, Greyland, then uh, Sussex Street in Greyland. Um, so a, a bit of an adventure, um, uh, you know, and mum, 
Mum has those very fierce qualities that you would expect from the Tuhoi nation of independence um, and very spirited. Dad's uh, family, um, you know, we've got the man side, but there are connections to the to um, uh, the Fulivai, um clan in Vava'u, and so um, there, there are expectations from that family line as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. So it's all a big mix. It's fascinating. What did you do when you came out of um, when you wrapped up kind of high school? So from what you were saying, you did you yeah, go back yeah. to Kelston to kind of wrap up? Yeah, I went back to Kelston and and it was great. It's great, you know, back with friends, fantastic school in there in Kelston. It's interesting, you know. Um, so you know, uh, nineteen eighty one. Uh, there's a program called the Tutungata program um, at the time. Uh, it's a well, well known sort of program to uh, mentor young young Māori into positions. And so I was sort of tapped on the shoulder. Um, as part of this program, I think perhaps um, I might have a bit earlier. I think perhaps uh, Sir Peter Sharples might have been in the early stages at Hawaii Waititi Marae at that right. stage, or, or there was about to be set up at that stage or in those early stages. Um, and so I, I was this mentor. I was this young Maori mentor at at Kelston Boys High School. Um, I represented Kelston, and I think probably only the first or second was probably what is now Polyfest. Um, I was in a Tereo speaking concert. It might have been called the Polynesian Festival back then. It either became Polyfest or it became Te Matatini. I'm not quite sure. Um, so I represented the school then. Um, so I was put in the Tu Tangata program, uh, the Tuakana type program for young Māori. Um, then I was tapped on the shoulder and said, would you like to go and work for um, the Department of Social Welfare? And which is, I think that's now Orana Tamariki now, or might be MSD. Um, I got in there and I was seventeen, and the thinking was, you know, we're gonna we're gonna bring you through to, you know, be a a good a good civil servant. We were very active and we were young. We, you know, we did all sorts of same rugby, rugby league, softball, swimming, the lot, cricket, everything, anything outdoors. Um, I got to work in this office in Henderson for the Department of Social Welfare, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die in here. <laughs> um, so I quickly realised that there was part of me like, how did I, you know, I was only 16, 17, how did I get here? This is going to dumb me down. Thinking back now, yes. if I look back at that now, you know, this is part of like herding Stereotype and identity hurting, and let's put all these people and put them into these menial jobs, and let's put these ones here, you know. So I know it was well-meaning at the time, but it was almost like identity hurting. Yet all the brown people can go there, or all the rest can go to engineering school, you know. Um, but I worked it out myself that no, I'm going to suffocate and die in here. Um, so I just basically thought, okay, I need to do something quick. I need to sort something out. All my friends had gone to university. My parents said, well, you, you do what you like. <laughs> you know, you, we've, we've sorted you out. You've finished your schooling. You do what you like. Mm. So I basically thought, I know what, I'll apply for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Police, Fire Brigade until I figure it out. I applied to every one of them at the age of 19. Wow. Uh, the, police, the police wrote back first. Uh, six months later, I was at the police college. Um, I wasn't there because I wanted to save the world. There's no deep motive about being a great police officer or serving the community. I was simply there because I needed to figure out what I wanted to do, and the police brought me time to do that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was the first one in our family to join the police later. I, um, uh, I, I had sorry, I had extended cousins. Uh, you know, part of our uh, from our Tongan whānau. Rudy Capelli was in the police from our Tongan whānau, but. Um, within our, our sort of close in it, yeah. One of the things I've always been weary of is this whole notion about follow your dreams, mm. um, follow your dreams and all that type of thing. I I think if that's not sort of broken down yeah. properly, I th- it's, it's uh, I can't try to think it's not dangerous, but it's a, it's a folly. Yeah, to absolutely. Um, to me, I think the most important decision is what's right for you now. Mm. Yes, think about the future. Yes, think about the possibilities. But um, 
follow your dreams is kind of oh, what the heck does that mean? Like yeah. right now, yeah. in nineteen in nineteen eighty three, when I needed to figure out what I wanted to do with my life at the age of nineteen, and I wasn't sure I needed to buy myself time. Buying time was the New Zealand Police mm. well paid job, order structure, well paid, trained investment, and that and that brought me time to figure out what I actually wanted to do, um, which is you know kind of where I am now. That's a great insight, Dom, because, you know, I teach students and young students, 16, 17. So, you know, you were mentioning that age where you got your job at uh, in the office. And I think one of the things collectively we're trying to do, and maybe it's just a symptom of what we've been expressing. What's the What's the role of our life? Is it to have minimum amount of hardship or to learn resilience and then we're too tough and 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 I feel like we're kind of selling dreams to these students you know look where you'll be the stars and lights and I kind of try and strip it back to you know teach them general things like it's not about content we're making it's about just what we're doing having a chat with someone and there's incredible value it can serve you at this stage or that stage I actually said it to one of the students that I'm mentoring at the moment I said you know, they did an interview and they were a bit worried about it. And I said, that feeling you've got, it's good that you have it then. So that if you're in a job interview, you can suck up that nervousness and remember how it feels. And and then you're good to go. You know, you've got over that hump mentally. And the other thing I said is that um, when someone says to you, do you have any questions for me? You'll be able to think of one, you know, and I think that's something yeah, that yeah, um, yeah. with this digital world, I'm really worried that it's taken all of mix that in with a little bit of an easier life. And I don't mean that like we're all living an easy life, but when you describe your parents or my parents or collectively our parents, you know, it was a bit tougher, you know, just the tough. major tough. And yeah. we've got our own challenges today, but one of the things I think is not as a constant like this toughness, you know, even like get up, milk the cows or, or uh, yeah. suppress really who you are to fit the what it sounds like your mum went through and what my mum went through, right? They had yeah. to really suppress that to survive in whatever construct was there. But uh, yeah, like I just clicked that I nearly did the same as you did, you know, around 19, I think I nearly joined the police because I wasn't sure. And I was lucky that I, you know, friend of a friend and they got me over yep. to play some rugby overseas and that kind of cascaded into a, um, a few different opportunities. But really I had time. And it was yeah, that time, time where things revealed Absolutely. themselves, and it sounds like and that's, that's yeah. exactly exactly right. But but in saying that, um, you know, uh, it's interesting. You know, um, I, I'd need a, a full day podcast to go into this, but you know, <laughs> um, there are real heroes in both sides of my you know family and my Maori and my Tongan side. There are just people who have done amazing things, and that I looked up on both sides of the family, whether that's through hardship or whether that's through you know prestigious things and so you know it's, so I land in the police I'm 19 when I go and I get out I remember going to Polydua and the police is very much like um uh it's almost like private school in the world of well, well-known public school you know you're your grandfather or your grandmother was a police officer and your parents were probably a police officer and you're a police officer you know apart from um, uh, cousin Rudy um, Capelli. There was no one in my family that had. I had no reference point. I was there because I needed to try and figure it out. But as I as I said to you before, like my parents were very active in their life, like extremely good. Um, oh, it's not wrong. I was just people who are heroes to me in our family. And so basically, one thing my wife, my father's always said to me and my brothers is when when you're in times of kind of uncertainty or times of pressure or crisis, he's always said, well, what are you going to do? He's always said that, even when I was young. You know, well, don't blame and moan about it. Stop feeling bloody sorry for yourself. What are you going to do? That's how he talks to us. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Forget about so-and-so. Forget about them. What are you doing? You know? And so I remember landing, and he still talks to us like that, and I remember landing at the police college and I think, okay, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. I'm here now. Um, <laughs> So anyway, I got stuck and I came first um, in the police college. I got the um, commissioner's prize, got a, an award from Minister of Police at the time, who was Anne Herkes, as the top 
student at the police college. I've never kind of looked back. I'd, I'd imagine so that was 1984. Mm. I was probably, who knows, I may have been the first um, Māori or Pacific person to top a wing. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I've, I've tried to look at it. I've tried to do some research on it. There may have been perhaps a, a, a Māori previous me to top a police wing. Um, there probably wasn't a Pacific person for all that. Um, so the point was, you're there, you've got an opportunity. Yeah, sure, it was me or apply, but I got there because of things which happened before that. Yeah. So you better make some use of it. So mm-hmm. I got stuck in, came first, um, got recognised for it, did some incredible things in the police, um, amazing, amazing things. Is that right? Um, um, you know, uh, I met my wife in the police um, and, you know, my wife Louise, uh, we've got two beautiful children, Sarah and Olivia, you know. Um, and that sort of set off a whole new chain of events. Um, amazing, amazing. Yeah, um, so you just give it heaps. Yeah, and I love that there's a couple of lenses we can look through. There's the lens of you achieving um, and, you know, what are you going to do about it? I love the idea of that. There's also the lens of you just buying yourself time. And I feel like that's okay to say that's a thing. You know, it's, it's like, because yeah. I feel like with the temptation is, let's say you're the first and then we have to go back and say, you know, Don, that was his plan. He was going to do that. But I like the idea of taking the pressure off by saying you were just there too because <laughs> you were trying yeah, to yeah. suss out what's next. Yeah. And- no, well, I mentioned before that all my friends went to university after I left school and I didn't. You know, I was, I was in an office working for social welfare and I was, you know, taxing every bit of my yeah. soul. <laughs> um, so I always had this kind of unfinished thing. I wanted to go to university. So police brought me that. So at the, um, at the age of um, 30, uh, about 31, I went to university. I was a detective in Auckland. I was in um, the Auckland CIB. Uh, and I did a, a Bachelor of Business degree at Massey University whilst I was a detective. It gave me that. Uh, I also did some master's study and uh, master's of management while I was in the police. Um, and now we're, we're, in the mid, we're in the mid-90s now. The Atlantic, Olympics have hap- uh, the Atlantic Olympics are coming up, you know, big commercial Olympics, the Atlantic Olympics. Um, the Warriors franchise has been spoken about, but yet to yet to go. And there's talk about rugby turning professional. Um, so Warriors '95, rugby turns professional '96. I think the Atlanta Olympics were about '97. I can't never can't remember. All this was happening at that time, and I realised then I thought, oh, okay, you can have a career as a sports administrator. And and I'd always been we're from a sporting family, from the rugby league family. And I'd organised a few sort of sporting events in the police. I'd organised police touch tournaments and that. And I thought, okay, here's a go. And I realised then, I was like, that's what it brought me time to do, a career in professional sport. Brother Dwayne runs out for the Warriors. He's in the first team. He had a successful Kiwi career. My dad and his brother, George Mansenia, had established Mate Matonga in 1985, so 10 years prior to that, that's that founded the Tongan Rugby League team. Um, Dwayne had a previous career. I had cousins, Warren, George, Sol had successful rugby league careers. And I thought I could be an administrator here. So I did that university degree, left the police and joined the Warriors. Um, and that was that brought me time to figure it out. And that set off a, a 13-year, I was 14-year, I think, 14-year career with the Warriors, you know, two grand finals. Yeah, he's the final series of the Warriors, doing pretty crazy things and travelling the world. I was, I was um, you know, from, with the Warriors from 2001 uh, until I left in 2014, you know, part of the ownership group that's owned by Eric right. Watson, who, of course, is languishing somewhere mm-hmm. in the UK. But, but, yeah, it was an amazing time. Uh, there's also that theme developing of, you know, these, you know, you kind of get to a level and, most of us can kind of get that feeling. Now it's something new. It's the deep end again. But I like that you were kind of armed with the what you're going to do or something to that effect, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. that yeah. It, it ain't going to be perfect, but just like it was at police college or at boarding school, you know, metaphorically, you might get hung over the building again, but we're going to be all right. Just chip away, chip away. And I, I feel like, yeah. you know, it's one yeah. of the things, Don, that I'm, that's why I love doing these kind of interviews so much because I, I kind of feel like I didn't. I think I had that, but I didn't. I didn't do it enough in my earlier years, you know. So I'm really trying to 
be brave with how I attempt these things in, you know, now I'm 30s and 40s. And I think that's the bit that's tricky for people. It sound if you explain it, it sounds a bit like following your passion, but it's not. It's kind no. of it's kind of calculated passion, if you like. You know, you get there yeah, and you've yeah. got a toolkit to be able to get into it. And then it's great, we're gonna go for it. I came in after um the Tainui tribe and um, Graham Lowe and Malcolm Boyle had the club and then I was part of a new a new ownership group. But the way I reconciled that, I'll just go back to dad for a moment. And I'm sorry to keep coming back to my parents, but it's, it's perfect. You know, pretty it's much exactly everything. what I want. So um, for the listeners who may not know, uh, dad was a prominent rugby league player. He played rugby league for New Zealand. Um, he played he was a Kiwi between 1970 and 1974. He played for the Ponsonby Rugby League team in Auckland. Uh, they were New Zealand's most famous rugby league team at the time. So we basically grew up on the terraces at Carlow Park. Um, yeah, uh, my brothers and I, and um, you know, it's funny. You even I even think about you know um, Tyler Nathan Wong, who plays in the New Zealand Women's Sevens team. Uh, Tyler's grandfather, David Wong, Chinese, was Dad's halfback in his mm-hmm. team. Um, Georgia Hale, really prominent rugby league player for the women's rugby league team, prominent young New Zealander, Kiwi Bank New Zealander, young New Zealander of the year, Georgia Hale. Her father was a masseur in dad's rugby league team. So during the 1970s, um, we were very much part of the Carmel Park rugby league scene. So for joining the Warriors, for me, uh, it was very much, I just drew a line straight back to 1970s, 1960s rugby league in New Zealand. Um uh, the first Tongans to play rugby league for New Zealand, you know, in the 60s. Um, you think about the Sorensons um, and then through to Dad uh, after that. And so that was my connection. And part of me for joining the Warriors was, okay, this is part of continuing that, that legacy of rug, rugby league, everything that rugby league can provide, rugby league providing for families, prosperity, economic well-being. I know it sounds a bit kind of washy now, but that's that's what it was about for me. It was never really about winning an NRL game. Sure, that's just an out that's just an output winning an NRL game and we lost plenty too. Um but it was actually about, you know, it's hopes and dreams. Families build their entire purpose and well being around sporting clubs. They do around rugby league, always have around rugby league. Um, and it was just the power of being part of that, a big movement like that, um, what, what the attraction was. And it's funny now because it's probably inadvertently what I got out of the police. I never joined it for any great sense of ethical and moral purpose, Um, but it it came to me whilst I was in the police. Um, I certainly got it out of the Warriors, out of um, being a part to to change lives for good, whether it be bands or players. Um, And I guess part of it is why what the attraction was when I got asked just over a year ago, um, would I take the reins at Pacific Media Network? And it was the same thing when I thought about it. I was asked during the first lockdown COVID last, it was February last year, that I was asked, and this thing called COVID was a bit of a whisper at the time. And when I was asked, I, I, we got into lockdown, I had time to think, and I just immediately thought, I, I sort of thought back to um, Dad's migration here, uh, what mum, mum went through coming out of Waikato Moana, uh, Dad and his brother setting up Mati Matonga. There are other things in the family, which, which significant things have done. And I thought, well, hold on. Well, here's my chance now to sort of continue that on and carry that thread on. And that and that's sort of what the big attraction to PMN was. I, I knew I knew the founder, uh, the founder of PMN, Safita Hauli, um, or, or 531PI, is connected to my family as well. So I knew of the work he'd done. My uncle George basically built the entire early promotion of Matematonga out of calling 531 every day. Um, so given what's, what was uh, about to unfold and that in the early days of the pandemic, you know, um, uh, February last year, and, and what you can see what's going to happen with the media, plus also the, just the disruption and change happening in the media sector, I ran to it. and. Um, and if I sort of think about, you know, mum and dad's life and, and the uncertainty and the change that they lived through, um, 
uh, after World War II, 1950s, um, I guess probably part of that's ingrained in me. I, I just, I thrive on uncertainty. I don't, I don't necessarily seek certainty. I thrive on change. Um, oh, no, that's not right. I just don't thrive. I, I, it doesn't bother me to be around uncertainty and it doesn't right. bother me to be around change. Right. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. thrive, you know. A bit, a bit self-indulgent to say that. But oh, just, no, 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 but it's a, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's fair to say that, though, because of the, the um, you know, the, so the chapters you've taken us through, they require you to engage with that uncertainty, you know? Absolutely. They kind of don't work if they have to make it certain to you, you know? There's nothing certain about no. any of it. No, and who you know, with the with big changes in media and a public media review, if someone said to you, "Would you go and like to go run a media organisation?" Because you're rocks in your head. Why would you? And, and radio, radio, it's going to die. <laughs> you know. But no, I was like, "Oh, that that's exciting." <laughs> yeah. On yeah. just you know, I, I'm probably too metaphorical sometimes for my own good, but it is what it is. Um, would part of what media offers, you know, to us collectively, let's say it's a way to communicate on mass or something like that do you think kind of funneling through what we're talking about here you know like how to make people how to give people certainty when there isn't any well it's not obvious what the future is you know i think that's the thing it's not even obvious about covid and stuff people know enough right like let's say our short-term goal is um to trust the institutions around vaccine because that's kind of the next ticket to the next level, if you like. But from there, I think everyone's kind of open to a bit of guidance. And yeah, I just wonder what your kind of personal opinion on the role of media. And I don't really know what I mean by that because what is media? If does it include all of the social media stuff? Does it include what I'm doing on a podcast? Does it include narratives of information? Yeah, it gets pretty tricky, but probably no less tricky than any time in history. Well, or or it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if I just keep it s- simple, first of all, and this is sort of what I was thinking when I was asked about PMN, um, I was, and it's probably part of my police background. I thought, okay, well, we're going, we're going into a crisis, yep. right? So, so trusted voices. Uh, and communication is important. In the case of PMN, you know, you've got this, this ability to deliver in multiple languages. And so first, at a really basic level, I thought, here's a chance for this organisation that I uh, that I um, followed and, and seen from when it was started and then when New FM came in later. I said, here's a chance for it to stamp its mark. Here's a chance for it to actually go, you know, this is why this, this place was set up as a as a as a place where people can get um, messages that they trust, a place that will speak up for its people, and so I was actually thinking like that when it was the opportunity. Here's, and I, I'd sort of looked gone back and did my research and seen the difficulties that the organisation, not only PMN but many organisations, were going through. I'm not stuff sold for a dollar. You know, this is all happening at the time. Um, and I thought, no, if there was ever a time for an organisation like PMN to show its true worth and to demonstrate why it should be here, it's going to be in a time of, of, a, of a global crisis, or in this case, a crisis for Aotearoa. Um, so is that there? Um, I, I think at a real technical level, I, you know, we, we know that in times of crisis, radio is important. And, yeah, okay, we have, you know, we're on a podcast now and this is going to be streamed and there's plenty of discussion around the future of radio, but... but when there's earthquakes, when there's floods and, exactly. and times of crisis, it's a radio. Um, yeah. So there's that there. Uh, from a broader sense, yeah, I, I, I th- I, when I think about media, I don't necessarily think about, you know, the TV ones, twos, in, the NZMEs. Um, mm. When I think about media, I think about what you're doing. I think about um, what um, uh, someone like, say, um, uh, Kiani Matatasipu is doing with Nuku Woman. Um, Tiarihi Maipi, Indigenous 100, yep. uh, Johnny Tapu, Pacific Brothers and Sisters, uh, Emmeline Pickering-Martin, Tabutok, uh, I think that. Mm. Um, so I think there's an important message there is that um, we have no God-given right. Um, I'm talking about PMN. Um, 
to be the number one player or the number one Pacific voice. We've got to earn it every day because um, everyone and anyone can be media. Buy yourself a microphone, get yourself online. So we need to re- we need to remember that, and we, we need to um, remember that uh, um, that uh, those who choose to listen to us not take that for granted because it can be taken away at the flip of the switch. That's right, and it's the same for everyone, you know. <laughs> like, uh, I think though the caveat that I'm really enjoying is that, for example, you open to chatting like this, you know, and that yeah. you've got to wear multiple hats depending where you are, and um, that's okay. That's okay for us to, you know, because there's a story like yours that we all have in our own kind of individual way, and you know, if, I think if we get back to remembering that when we're pushing forward again, then it makes things a little bit more, um, I don't know, just meaningful. And and like you say, it is very meaningful, the fact that while lots of our Pacific families don't have access to be able to stream these type of shows, but they will have the analog, you know, they'll have that style that was brought up through New Zealand. Yeah, no, they'll have it. It'll come and, you know, it's, and and it's easy to do now. Um, But yeah, I I just, um, I mean, of course, there's you know representation of voice, and we need to see ourselves, and this and this framing, um, shaping of voices, you know, and the nuances of that. Um, there's all that, and that's all important. Mm. Um, but I, I think for here and now, right now, um, you know what you're doing, um, what Barbara Dreve is doing, you know what Indira is doing, what John Puller is doing. Uh, Susanna Leatawa at RNZ and Moida and the others. Um, yeah, it's incredibly important to get that voice framed. I mean, you look look now, right? So, so at the time this this podcast has been recorded, we're in level three, and we're starting to come out of this elimination phase. Um, where we're at now is highly predictable. You know, two years ago, our our our, um, our, our Maori and Pacific medical experts were saying if we don't have a priority for Māori and Pacific communities is going to get away from us and the Māori community will be hit hard. So what's happening now is it's kind of like, well, no shit, Sherlock, you know. We knew this was coming. And um, and when um, things have started to relax, oh, you know, relax in inverted commas because we're probably Absolutely. still at level four, really, you know. Um, this was always going to happen. And, um, and, the, and um, you know, I, I think it's highly predictable where we're going to go with COVID. Mm. Um, and I guess probably this is some way how I think about change and uncertainty. It's going to be like how we're living with the flu. Um, we'll, have, we'll live with it. We'll have annual injections. Um, and we'll, we'll work our way around it. We'll adjust our lives accordingly. Mm. Unfortunately, pe- fortunately, people are going to die before we get there. Yeah. 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 Had a bit of mental heavy lifting to do. You know, when I found out a few of my friends aren't going to be vaccinated and and at the end, I thought to myself, you know, at the end of the day, we all, <laughs> I guess I should be a bit careful because we're still working through it in real time. But I thought there's plenty of things not good for us, right? Or what we would perceive as not good for us. Like, why not just boo- ban booze and cigarettes? But we don't because people got to make those choices for themselves. But yeah, I, I don't know. At the same time, I kind of feel like, well, the more I'm unsure, maybe the more patient I should try and be and just keep whatever is happening here, these conversations going. And, and that means to people that I'm, you know, probably not sure about, you know, what the responsibility we all have to this thing. But um, yeah, look, it's a it's a moving picture. Don, my last question for you, and I just want to say thanks again, brother, for doing this. I really appreciate it, is for the roles you've taken, the responsibility, you know, as you've kind of um, I guess I'll say crudely, you know climb this ladder of uh, opportunity maybe and, and influence. Has any of those roles really impressed your parents? <laughs> oh, yeah, look, I think they're proud of all their sons. Mm. But I, I look, and, and, and I don't mean to sound like cliche, but it's what we do with our kids and who we are as people that really counts. And it is. I, I really mean that, like, you know, being good fathers and being decent. Mm. Um. That's more important. I did. I, I did say though. Um, uh, my father was, you know, he he was extremely uh, proud of 
the success I was able to enjoy at the Warriors, you know, um, being part of those um, grand finals. Um, we, um, it's a couple of things I'm proud of. The, you know, I, I wasn't on the coaching side. I was, I was on the management side. But the, um, the top four attendance records for the Warriors, they're all in the high 30,000s and, you know, around that mid-30,000. The top four were, were in my time and I was the head of the commercial team at the Warriors. And so, you know, he was really proud of that, like selling out stadiums um, when his son was leading it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, taking, taking the team to, um, you know, working beside Ivan Cleary and others. Um, and uh, Wayne Scarra was the CEO at the time, to the team to the grand final and other things. So he's really proud of those. Mm. Um, it's funny, though, we had this moment where I showed them around New FM and 531 uh, not so long ago before lockdown, and I introduced them to everyone. I, I, I could see him. I could see Dad, Dad especially just thinking, and they, got, and they got to introduce everyone. I walked around, um, all the language teams, all the language producers, and everyone in the office. And I sort of dawned on in the scale of an organisation like PMN. You know, probably people think, you know, small media player, but no, you know, 11 languages, two radio stations in newsroom, um, 10 very diverse Pacific communities represented inside the building. And I sort of looked at him and he was like, you know, I know, and he's he's good because he just looks and goes, "You're doing good, son. You're doing good, boy." Oh, I love <laughs> that. Walks out oh, I love that so much. It's so cool. It's so cool. You're doing good, Chad. Keep it up. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Just something like that. Like, yeah. thanks, Dad. You know, but it's it's yeah. beautiful, Don, because that won't be in any bio or on a Wikipedia on any page. But mm. that's the that's awesome. You know, there's something there, and I don't know what that means. I. And it's not always obvious how to communicate that. Like I mentioned my old man before, he'll, you know, he's a funny old dude, but his favorite thing to do is he'll get his mates around when you, I guess you could, and he'll load up an old interview that I did with Bill English when he was prime minister. And for my dad, it's like, yeah, my son interviewed the prime minister, you know, the former one, you know, and, and, and he doesn't need me to be there. He's just like, come push play. You know, and I think it's just like him and his mates, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. you know, they talk all the way through it. And but yeah. I like those little bits because what the hell else are we supposed to be doing with this? You know, we're supposed to have these funny little moments. And um, yeah, 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 I'm just happy that we captured that with yours because it's beautiful. I can just imagine, and maybe people can too, you know, yeah. like your old man's proud of you in some way. And, and yeah. you know, it's cool. You're doing good, you're doing good. That's it. Right. Keep going. Yeah, that's on it. Keep going. Yeah, well, that's it. Carry, carry on. Yeah, <laughs> you got things to do. Um, well, look, mate, thank you again for taking time. I hope this is one of many podcasts we can do. Hey, thanks for that. That was really good. Sweet, brother. Yeah. We'll let you go. Yeah. Holding my head again, making my way through crowded thoughts. Sometimes it's hard to get out of it. Broke my heart. In the dark, I was just trying to feel something Falling asleep to the sound of it Always used to let you clean up the messes Down on my knees, thought I couldn't stand up on my own Turns out sometimes you're stronger alone Bringing out the fight, yeah, bring on all the lightning Cause I'm looking for a hero Inside the mirror, I find one. Oh, carry the hurt when it gets too hard. Pick it up, dust it off. When I fall down 11, I get up 12. Don't need nobody else. Yeah, I can save myself. Got burned, but I learned. Our scars make us who we are. Now I'm 10 feet tall over my demons. Remind me no one's got me like myself Yeah, I love me without any help I'm the best thing to believe in So I'm bringing out the fight, yeah Bring on all the lightning Cause I'm looking for a hero Look inside the mirror I find one Oh, carry the hurt when it gets too hard Pick it up, dust it off When I fall down a 
pieces But I got a million reasons why I won't Cause this heavy is a season And the sun is always right behind the storm 